This week, the CSJ's Policy Director, Joe Shallum, speaks to Helen Edom and Matthew Greenwood about the rise in illegal money lending as a result of the cost of living crisis. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Westminster podcast brought to you by the Centre for Social Justice. Uh, I'm Joe Shallum, I'm the Policy Director here at the CSJ. Uh, And the UK, as we know, is in the midst of a cost of living crisis. And I think it's fair to say that everyone is feeling the squeeze. But beyond the the financial pressures that that people are under when they're looking at that, their, their bank balance and the bills coming in, what are some of the wider social and cultural consequences to the cost of living crisis that maybe aren't receiving as much attention as they should? Well, one that we think is a really important issue um, to discuss today is the issue of illegal money lending, and that's people turning to uh, lenders who aren't licensed, often exploitative, often unscrupulous. Um, and today we're going to be looking at this issue, questioning the the scale of illegal money lending the way that it's taking uh, place, the types of victims. But we're also going to be hearing directly from those working in some of our most disadvantaged communities um, to learn more about how this uh, this issue is manifesting itself today. Today I'm joined by Helen Eden, uh, who joins us from an excellent charity called Community Link in Sheffield, and by Matt Greenwood, our very own um, acting head of debt here at the CSJ, who's the author um, of our most recent report, Looking Into Hidden Debt, which is called Swimming with Sharks. Helen, I'm going to start with you first, if I can. Um, it would be really good just to hear a little bit about uh, about Stradbrook, about the area in which you work, about Community Link, and, and what sorts of things the charity does. Yeah, so... Stradbrook is a, an area of multi-deprivation and, and we started the Link Community near almost 10 years ago now to, to um, help with that deprivation and give people in our area the same chances that you'd have from a more affluent area. But over the years, we've seen the deprivation reach to levels that it's at now that I've never come across before as a community worker. And it's quite overwhelming now with the cost of living crisis um, just how badly it's affecting our residents and just how little there is put in place to help those residents. Um, we, it's an area of, of multi-issues. We have people dependent on drugs and alcohol abuse, mental health issues, very often all three. We've got a lots, lots and lots of one-bedroom flats. Um, so because of the, the council's housing policy now, whereas it used to go to time so the longer you'd had your name down the more chance you'd had it had of getting into a, a better area which which ours was at one point it now goes to priority and the higher priority very often comes along with all those issues and it has begun to feel like a bit of a, a dumping ground really where people are just dumped there and then you're left to their own devices no support put in them and there's such easy prey for illegal money lenders and that's something that we've seen on the increase in our our community and they've raised concerns but it it doesn't seem to have been picked up by anybody because it doesn't seem to be seen as a crime and the poorest of the people and they are poorest of people they pay more for their electricity they pay more for the food they pay more for the borrowing of money when they get under the influence of illegal money lenders seem to suffer the most and very often nobody seems to care and so your charity is really, it sounds like, working at the very sharpest edge of the cost of living crisis. But it'd be interesting to know kind of how have these issues changed uh, in the last few years. I mean, are you seeing things getting rapidly worse in the last year or so? Or, or is this part of a longer trend that you've, you've been observing? 
I think it's a longer trend, but I think because of the cost of living crisis, it's speeded up and it's just all of a sudden come on us. Um, we did start raising concerns when the extra £20 from the universal credit was stopped and we said things are going to get really bad for these people. Um, things have gradually gone up anyway. But when the cost of living crisis hit, I'm trying to help people with things that I've, that I've not had to do before. Um, two weeks ago, I had a gentleman claim to me who hadn't had any electricity for five days. He pays on a, a pre, prepayment card. So you pay more for your letter when you do that anyway. He's spent his money on, on food. The price of food's gone up. He can't get off the estate to buy food, so he pays more his food from a local shop he'd been without electricity for five days and he came to see him and he, and he said the, he said I smell and he did smell because he hadn't been able to have a bath he'd not been able to wash his clothes we had to choose food for him that he could eat cold so we had to give him kind of beans and silk which we were going to go away and eat cold and he said he said if it, if this thing if this situation would last for a couple of months he said I could I could probably cope with it I'd probably get through it God knows how he'd do that but he did say I could get through it he said but people are telling me it's going to get worse he said I won't survive the winter and I don't think he will and I think the more and more people will be like that and at the moment I'm not seeing a lot being put into place in my area that's going to help that it is really worrying and quite overwhelming. So we know that you know debt is one of the one of the things that can really hold people back in in moving forward in their lives and really keep people trapped in in a in a cycle of poverty. Um, but it's also one of those things that we just find it really difficult to talk about as a nation. You know, we're much more likely these days, frankly, to open up about our mental health and often our our sort of financial difficulties. So how how do you as a, as a charity and as a community organisation kind of reach those people who? Uh, maybe have turned to an illegal uh, money lender, um, and they're very, very afraid to open up about that. How do you, how do you open up those conversations? It's really, really difficult, and sometimes it'll just come out by accident, and because there is a huge stigma attached to it, there's that fear that goes along with it, and it's something that I know that's happening in our community and happening to a lot of people, but very few people will talk about it. Um, they, they do live in fear and I suppose if they stop the illegal money lenders from coming into the area even though these people are absolutely skinned by it then they've got no they've got nowhere else to go for the money they can't go to the bank they can't go anywhere else for it so these illegal money lenders unfortunately are a lifeline for these people and it's shocking because once they are under the grass of these unscrupulous people their lives become a misery but very often they don't, because they're befriended by these illegal money lenders, they don't come, they, they're, they're very crafty and manipulative and, and they influence the most vulnerable people. And they start off by befriending them and then it turns into lending them money and then they come under the influence. And But they all the way through that, they still kind of see these illegal money lenders as friends. It's most bizarre and I, and I really don't get it, but we don't get a lot of people coming out going, yeah, because there is a stigma attached and it's not something that people talk about. It really does go under the radar. And and, the, and even when you get into those conversations and you start asking more questions, you can see they are really reluctant to talk about it. And so it's a really interesting sort of picture that you paint there of, of figures who aren't necessarily, you know, kind of people walking around with baseball bats in a very nakedly intimidating way. Um, it's actually 
befriending that's the the main route in for these for these uh, unscrupulous lenders. I wonder if you might be able to just talk a bit bit more about that because I think that's one of the lesser known aspects of illegal money lending. Is that is that a theme that you you see repeatedly in the in the victims that you serve? Uh, absolutely, I'm with different illegal money lenders as well. So um, we have got um, a family of illegal money lenders who are quite notorious, and they start off by befriending people, take them out in the cars for a drive in the car, take them out for food, and then it goes on to look. You might need a little, little bit of money. Let's lend you this, and that's how it starts. Another one who is always really notorious and very dangerous, even went round buying residents Easter eggs. <laughs> and they loved him because he went round and delivered these Easter eggs and all. And these are people who don't get given things very often or bought things or taken out in a car. So when they do do that, it is, it is quite um, powerful for them to have this person who they think is a friend. And one young girl, even though the illegal money lender was going around and taking nearly all the benefits off when she just got paid, left her with £40 for the whole fortnight, she still thought of him as a really nice person because he, he'd go around and he'd put drops in her dog's eyes and she couldn't manage to do it. She'd got no one else to do it, but he came and do it. So she still thought of him as a as a friend, even though he was leaving a skin and she probably skimped for like a fortnight. She was having to go around begging money off everyone else. And it it's it's really, I, I don't even, I don't really get it, but I do get it and I don't get it. I get it because these people don't very often have um, real friendships like we have real friendships they're very often people who fall out and steal from each other and, and fight with each other and so they don't really get real friendships so when someone comes along and offers that friendship and gives them things they mistake that manipulation for friendship and, and sometimes when they're under that influence even though some of them face a beating and, and one young fella who'd borrowed money quite a lot of money and, we, and he was in the same position having to pay the majority of his benefits back when we did say to him look we can help you you know just you don't even have to it's, they're not going to find out you've said anything we can help you we can we can get you sort of kept safe and he and he thought about it and he was going to go ahead but then when he had another thing about it he said no because my family will be at risk and do you know what it's not too bad anyway he's all right when I get money he's all right with my if I get a beating that's fine but I don't want my family to get a beating so it's it's quite bizarre the influence they have over them and I think that's why they kind of get away with doing what they do that's really fascinating that the sense that this isn't just purely a, a financial um, issue it's not just about you know the, the the cost of living pressures that people are under but actually the quality of the relationships they have and the, the need for friendship um, and that that itself being exploited by by the lenders is something you, you point to very powerfully there, Helen. I wonder if you might be able to talk to the, you know, that this obviously affects individuals and, and, and it affects families as well from, from what you've just alluded to there. I mean, do, does this go further? Is this a community-wide issue? You know, your charity, you work with the whole community. Does it spread throughout? Are these are, are these things that you know that turn into whispers that travel around the estates or around town? How does it ripple out? It spreads and it, it happens, and it's a snowball effect. Once that illegal money lender gets into a complex of flats where the majority of people in those complex are all in the same position, they're all skinned. They can't get money from anywhere else. It's like Christmas for them. They can go from one to another, and when they're introduced, of my mate can help you. I'm skinned. Well, I've got a mate who can help you. Then it, and they also get into get into the local community. There's shops that um, 
are a little bit dodgy. And if they know people in the shops, then the people in the shops when people are going will say to them, I can, I've got someone who can help me with your day. And that's very often how it starts. I've got someone who can help me with your day. It doesn't start, I know it's a legal money lender, you know, you're going to be paying, they call it double bubble, you borrow it and you pay twice as much back. Um, it never starts off with that. So people sometimes go into it naively and not knowing what they're getting into. It. And it's not until they're in it that they, they can't get out of it. They can never pay those debts back. It's I once saw a list of women uh, of, of people who owed money and there were 10 people on the list and everyone was was a woman um, and they were paying so many pounds off every week and they'd have to go in. And that was from a local shop, a local shop that people went in um, and maybe went in for something else and, and then got caught in that illegal money lending. So there's the different the different types of perpetrator there from sort of your, your, your lone rangers who operate on their own to some actually based as kind of institutions within the community, whether it's shops or or otherwise. Um, I, I'm going to turn to to Matt shortly, um, but I wanted to ask just a final question of you, Helen, for now. Around you know when you're helping these individuals who whether they reveal it by accident or um, uh, by their own volition, you know, when they do give you that sense that they are borrowing from a pernicious lender, what, what do you do to help? What ca- is there anyone you can point them to? You know, do the police help? Um, what do you do about it? The police don't help at all. We raised issues that we had illegal money lenders working on this day. We had a, a sergeant come to see us, and when we said we've got illegal money lenders working on this day, she said, what do you want me to do about it? And ended the meeting and, and, and walked out. It's not a crime that I think that's seen as a crime. <laughs> I don't know what the police see as in my area. They certainly didn't see it as a crime. So we started working with the illegal money lending team, which we have done for years. But it's so difficult to get people to talk about it because they're scared of these people. And, and even though these people befriend them and, and they are they are nutcases and, and they will beat them up and they will be violent, they'll do all kinds of things. And you can't protect people from that. We know that and people know that. So it's very difficult to do anything for them. But interestingly enough, one of the um, women who who was borrowing money from one of the illegal money lenders, and, and it was a quite a, a notorious one, this one, her daughter phoned him up and pretended to be the woman's social worker and said, I've just found out by accident what, what's happening and you're, you know, she's, owing you this money, I'm going to get onto the police if you don't leave her alone. And straight away, he said, no, it don't matter, I'll wipe the debt off. So he clearly didn't want to to, to be known. He was worried by that. Um, so, And I do believe that if, if we had more of a campaign and uh, made people more aware and said, this is happening and this is what you need, then it would become not as easy for them to, to do what they do and get away with doing what they do. Thanks, Helen. I'm going to definitely bring you back into this this discussion. So, Matt, you know, we, we're hearing about um, the example here in, in Stradbrook, Sheffield, and it's just incredibly um, alarming and powerful to hear those, those stories there. What, what do we know about the national picture? Um, so throughout our work, what we wanted to do was try and get an idea for the scale of what's going on, because I think Helen's right that this is something that flies under the radar and it's something that is probably getting worse. Um and I think we kind of came up with a figure that about a million people across England uh, are borrowing from an illegal lender at the moment. Um, and I think we've been clear that that takes a whole different uh, shape on each individual, right? As, as Helen has, has kind of alluded to, 
each person has a very different experience with an illegal lender. It can veer from the the manipulation um, that we've heard to the quite quite extreme cases in which um, you get physical violence. And the um, the the. The, the sort of the research that's been done in this space is there much is there much that we know from other countries in terms of how it how it takes shape or is this an area that hasn't really been explored too much um so at least in this country it's an area in which there just hasn't been too much research um when the illegal lending projects were set up in the early 2000s there was a, a string of of work conducted by the government to, to take a look into this to find out what it looked like who was doing it um and what the kind of experiences were but since 2010, we really haven't haven't seen that that much at all, um, and I think that the there's a bit of been a bit of a wake up call really. So the CSJ published in the last couple of months uh, a big sort of update in the in the knowledge and the evidence base around around illegal money lending, and part of that was looking in lots of detail at the victims. Um, what can you tell us about the the, the victims of illegal money lending? Um, I mean, I think the thing that we found is that. The people who are subject to this, at least the ones we, we know of, are usually on the pretty sharp edges of it. Um, we found that you know predominantly people are on some form of, of state support. Um, that doesn't always have to be universal credit, but that's the kind of common one, uh, at least recently, as, as more people move over to that. Um, about half of people are working, which obviously also means half of people um, are not working. Social housing is is quite common. Um, and But so too are other kind of key uh, factors which make life just more expensive to live right people who have a disability and therefore face higher a higher cost of living um, because of the difficulties surrounding that condition um, and people who are already in debt to some kind of legal creditor so they're financing a a debt um, and then find themselves with with more debt that they have to pay off so people already in in quite precarious uh, circumstances um, the ones likely to to fall victim and I mean oh, you know since 2010 obviously a long time has passed and lots has lots has changed since the last major sort of research done into this are, are lenders changing the way that they are going about this crime in the, in the sort of new environment that we're in now um I think they are so it, it's pretty it's pretty difficult to tell because um this is such a deeply hidden crime and we've, we've heard from Helen that you still clearly get um the kind of lender that we heard about a decade ago who were trekking around local estates, areas they knew quite well, people they knew quite well, um, and taking advantage of them. Um, we found that, you know, kind of over half of people who borrowed from an illegal lender said that the, when they borrowed from them, they considered the person to be a friend. Um, so over 60% knew them, which speaks to the fact that there are still people wandering around estates. Um, but increasingly, we've also seen people operating online. Um, and it's just far easier to get to people online. I could be sitting here in London um, and talking to someone in Doncaster, in Manchester, in, in Edinburgh. Um, it really increases the reach that you have. Um, and over the last few years, we've seen a couple of pretty high profile cases um, in which that has been the case and that the lender has literally never seen the person uh, with, you know, with their own eyes. And yet they are uh, extorting uh, so much money out of them through repayments. So Helen earlier touched on the... Um challenges of sort of engaging with the police around this issue i mean is that is that the case across across the country who are the main who, who are the guys that are going after the legal lenders if not the police um so the police are a difficult one because i think that i think helen's right that um it's not always viewed as a criminal offense um 
and I, to some extent, I guess that that makes sense. It, it's borrowing money. It's a knee-jerk response to think that it's a, a civil offence. Um, but the kind of people that deal with this are the illegal money lending team. They are a, a body run out of, of Birmingham City Council, but funded by the Treasury. Um, and they have offices all over the country. And it's very easy to, to report an illegal lender. You can either go on their website or you can phone them. And I think the, the disappointing thing, um, the thing that we really struggle with when people don't want to come forward is because they are very, very scared. And yet when an illegal lender is uh, arrested, chances are if they are uh, lending illegally, uh, they will be prosecuted because illegal lending is a very technical offence. You're either doing it or you're not. And therefore, most illegal lenders, when arrested, um, plead guilty because it's pretty easy uh, if you can find the documentation to evidence that the uh, crime has been going on. Um, yeah, I think so. The illegal lending team are, are the kind of key port of call here, and, and that's what they do. And what sort of things do, do lenders get up to? I mean, what, you know, we, we're hearing lots about you know different types of uh, criminal behaviour involved in this and, and ex- exploitation in some ways. But talk me through what that actually means in practice. So if I'm borrowing from an illegal lender, uh, I don't know whether it's sort of a bit of money to get to get me through the end of the month or whether it's to purchase uh, a one-off item. And what sorts of what sorts of things am I likely to experience as a as a typical victim of illegal money lending? Um, so I think the first thing is that there probably isn't a typical victim. Mm. Um, and that people's experiences very drastically differ. And, and that's because the tactics that someone might deploy heavily depend on the relationship that that illegal lender has with them. Um, in that high-profile uh, case of, of online lending, the guy used to send pictures uh, to people in order to, to get them to repay, make them uh, himself look like he was nearer their location, um, and therefore say, if you, know, if you don't do this, I'm going to X, Y, and Z. Um, but a lot of the time, it can be uh, small things, really, um, but as a way of emotionally manipulating someone. Um, a, a kind of classic example that comes up quite a lot is when someone in a uh, with a spouse or a, in a couple has borrowed money and the person will say to them, or the lender will say to them when they cannot repay, now, wouldn't it be awful if I decided to tell your, your partner about this? Um, because... Not only does that play on the deep sense of shame, it also starts an argument because if people are struggling with with money already, they don't want to be seen like they're mishandling it. Um, and that can be a very powerful in- incentive to pay. Um, and then on the, the kind of extreme ends, we've seen uh, cases where people have been physically violent. Um, we've seen a case where people have demanded kind of payments in kind in order to, to what finance. Do mean, what do you mean by payments in kind? Uh, so usually some kind of sexual repayment. Um, we don't know how often this takes place, but I think the kind of the most shocking thing uh, in our report that, that we found was a contract uh, makeshift and entirely unenforceable between a, a lender and their victim in which the lender said um, that, this, that this person was obliged to provide sexual services to them. Uh, and it stipulates the requirements in pretty graphic detail. Um, and not only is it, it disgusting and, and illegal, um, it speaks to the power that that person held over someone who had no money. Gosh, yeah. I mean, Helen, I'm going to bring you back in now because, you know, we, we were hearing a kind of spectrum of expectations from things like Double Bubble, which you mentioned, to, you know, low-level uh, kind of pestering to some of the most egregious forms of 
sexual exploitation as well. I mean, d- have you observed a sort of range of different associated uh, uh, sort of types of exploitation with this crime in the victims that you've supported? Yeah, I've, I've, I've have heard about it, especially on this sex, sexual exploitation where the um, the illegal money lender was had got the women's bank card so they couldn't get their own money to get money off him to buy food because he didn't have any food. Both the mother and the daughter had to have sex with him. So what we've heard so far is that this is a you know pretty horrific crime. Um, certainly, you know, on a on a spectrum of um, how of how severe it is and how and how awful it can be for the victims, it's something that is on the rise, likely on the rise because of the cost of living crisis. It's also something that you know it sounds like there's almost a little bit of a blind spot about even you know in the way that we we don't really talk about debt, we don't really talk about hidden debt, but also um, it's very hard for. Uh, the statutory services to pick it up and to act on it. But Matt, what what can we do about it? What is the, you know, the the solution to to dealing with this issue in in the twenty first century? Uh, so I think at a base level, um, this is something which is very difficult to deal with. Um, and the kind of analogy that that was put to me that I thought was was quite powerful is if uh, I want to go and buy toothpaste, I can go to Tesco, I can go to Audi, I can go to Morrison's, I can get very different brands of of toothpaste and, and cheaper alternatives. Um, but you can't really do that with money. Um, and in the last few years, we've seen a kind of big change in the credit market, but nothing much has filled the the vacuum yet. And I think that given what we've heard, um, not only that it's very difficult to catch and deal with illegal money lenders, but it's also very difficult to get people to come forward. The approach that we ought to be taking is prevent rather than than cure. Um, cure it in the instances that it does exist, but otherwise let's stop it happening in the first place. And one of the things we wanted to look at, therefore, was the shape of the credit market. Um, Because there are alternative providers that are lower cost um, and that are accessible to people who need uh, finance. And they come in the form of credit unions. Um, And in our report, we were very keen to focus on expanding that sector to see what you know, small regulatory tweaks we could make that would be readily and pragmatically implementable by the government. So prevention better than cure. I mean, Helen, what 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 do you say to those you know who those for whom it might be too late to prevent? Um, what what can be done to support those victims um, more effectively? The, the people who are already lending, I think they need to be given an alternative, don't they? And, and that is in the way of a credit union. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't even know what credit union is. Unfortunately, in Sheffield, our credit union is 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 in the in the town centre. Nobody knows about it. It would be nice to see it, it, people being made more aware of it. We we were looking at a new initiative because, like Matthew says, I don't think you can rely on on um, the police going after illegal money lenders. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I don't think that people would give the evidence needed to stop them. So you need to look at other ways of helping people before they get under grip. Um, and that is by offering alternative ways to, to borrow money. And it, it, the illegal money lender is the only person you can go to for money. Yeah, so I mean, I think that's um, a really good thing because the we had a, uh, an issue a couple of years ago, right, where people just couldn't advertise uh, alternatives. Credit unions existed. Um, a lot of them aren't always ex- as accessible. There's a clear problem in, in Sheffield. Um, but if a housing association, for instance, wanted to 
uh, forward a, uh, a client of theirs to a kind of responsible credit provider, they just couldn't do it because it was deemed credit brokering and that would be against the um, FCA's rules. Um, but the Financial Conduct Authority has recently allowed them to do that. And I think that's kind of an example of a small tweak that, that we can make. Um, but in addition to that, I think we'd all agree we have to be serious about the scale of the problem and what we're going to to do about it. Because while it's going on and there isn't an alternative or the alternative is very small, we cannot just elect illegal lenders run around uh, lending money with impunity. Um, and one of the kind of key recommendations that, that we put in our report was to allow the illegal money lending team uh, to get more finance, to get more officers and to be able to, to actually put themselves out there more than they already do um, to, to bring these people to justice. The cost of living crisis obviously in the front of minds for, uh, for, for policymakers at the moment and a large part of that is about getting people the cash they need in their pockets to support them through uh, you know, large bill payments and things like that. But it seems to me that there's a, a wider sort of social uh, dynamic of social consequences to the cost of living crisis around crime and around illegal money lending, some of these more difficult kind of cultural questions. Um, yeah. I mean, how far do you see that as, as needing to be a priority for government as it helps the country navigate this challenging period? Absolutely. It needs, needs to be an absolute priority because... They, they're all, they all go together, don't they? The cost of living, the illegal money lending. I know the government are sending money out to people and very often the people I work with cannot budget. They've been given the benefits a whole month of benefits. Whereas you used to get paid a fortnight with the benefits so they had one good week and one skimp week. Now they get it a month, they have three skimp weeks because they've got no experience of budgeting and it's very difficult for them to budget. So when when the government have sent them out this other this extra £150 they're all getting at the moment, it's not gone on what it needs to go on. They've kind of it's kind of spending money, which I get because the people who are really, really skinned and so to have this 150 quid and they can go and buy something nice with it, which I, I really get. But then when that electricity runs out and the money designed to help them do that isn't there and the benefits have gone, they're going to be skinter than they normally are. And that's when they're going to have, if someone comes along and says, look, I can lend you it, you can put a bit of lecky on, they're going to jump at the chance. So it, it, it all, all this stuff that's happening at the moment is creating like a huge a, a storm, isn't it? And it's difficult to know how to tackle it. I think rather than just chuck money at it you've got to think how that money is going to get to the people in a, in a way that's really going to help them not just to tick that box not just to say look we've given them this 150 quid they'll be fine i mean what i'm hearing from you helen that's really interesting is that you know it, it's it's almost as if government needs to kind of get ahead of some of these issues before the emergency point of of getting the cash out there which of course is hugely welcome and and so uh, important, but actually coming up with a, with a bit more of a long term plan for how you're help, helping these people to sort of build that independence. So, you know, when the money comes in, they're using it in the right way, and they are they're being savvy about the dangers around them. Um, it, it feels maybe that there isn't that plan at the moment, and we are relying on these kind of emergency measures. I don't know, Matt, if, if, if is that something you'd necessarily agree with? We can certainly do more, but I think that there's um, a huge capacity problem, right? If you're living in this kind of situation where the day-to-day -day is a struggle, 
Um, what what capacity do you have to to rebuild, to go out and upskill and, and get a job and and all of those things? And I think it's it's very very difficult. And I don't think it's there therefore too surprising that people um people find themselves spending money on something which takes the pain away for five minutes, right? And uh, in addition to that, I think that we, we've got a real problem that uh, as the cost of living crisis is getting worse, we've seen a huge uh, number of the same people essentially saying that my cost of living has increased and now I cannot save anything at all, um, which really speaks to the, the cliff edge that a lot of people are on. Um, and if we don't get ahead of the problems which are causing that cliff edge, which are causing that lack of resilience, then... I mean, how many waves can you be hit by before the wall just crumbles? And Helen, I'm, I'm going to turn to you to give you the, the, the last word on this. I'd be really interested just from your experience, you know, maybe thinking back to some of your encounters with people who've um, suffered as a victim of illegal money lending. You know, what's the one thing that, you, you know, maybe an intervention, maybe a conversation, the one thing that, that could have been done to stop that person um, from turning to that illegal lender or the one thing that could have really helped them out of it uh, at, at their moment in need? I think having, having more support and people, people knowing what's going on in the community, I think when a lot of things get put into place and decisions made and actions, uh, they come up with these plans, they come up with them thinking that, the thinking being that, the, how we would tackle it. So if we were skinked, what would we do? The people who I work with very often lead absolutely chaotic lives that sometimes their actions and the way they, they, they live don't make any sense, they're chaotic. So you have to you have to put things in place for the, the actually what's happening in the community is not, not what's happening in, in, in how I live, but it's happening in how, how they live and they live a, they live a different life. And so to help them, you need to put people into the communities, not sit in an office somewhere and think, right, they will do this and this will help them. Actually get into communities, understand the people and understand how to help them. And if you talk to them, like, like we're in the communities, they're engaged with us and they trust, trust us. But it took a long time to get that trust and a long time for them to come and say things to us. A lot of communities haven't got a link there. A lot of these people don't get any contact with anybody. And, and when they do, they're very often treated like second-class citizens and and i've been with them when we've made phone calls to people we've made phone calls to utility we've made phone calls to social services and they get spoken to in it in a different way and then when they realize i'm in the room with them i'm their support and i'm in this 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 they started talking to in a, in a different manner they really do get treated differently and very often it's as though as their, their lives don't matter. And that passes on to them. And very often when you say, but this is wrong, they'll go, yeah, but that's just the way it is. That's just that's just what happens. And they kind of, they, they don't have any aspirations or expectations of, of how people should treat them. They just, they just, they just take it because that's, uh, that's what they think they're worth. They've got no, um, they've got no, they don't feel worthy of being treated like me and you would and if if this situation was happening to us we'd be shouting about it we'd be going to our local mp and we'd be creating a huge fuss but they don't so they go under the radar and i think because services are cut back so much to the bone that if you don't acknowledge it then there's not a problem there you don't have to work it do you and and, and that's why there is such a trouble getting this help to people but i think if there were more help put in 
more support workers working on the ground, more local police, more wardens, so they knew what was happening. These problems probably wouldn't get get to this state now. These people get the help that they, they deserve. They should have the same help and, and same opportunities as everybody. And if a legal money lender were coming to my door and threatening to get me out of and saying I've got to have sex with him, people would be doing it. I get on to and, and people will come out and help me. But they don't, these people. For all of us, I think, working in, uh, in, in, in the sort of square mile that is SW1, to be thinking about how do we connect with those left behind communities and really understand the lives of, of those who've been left behind. I think it's fair to say we're not going to crack this, this issue of illegal money lending um, unless we do that. And it's really, really urgent that we do, given uh, the cost of living crisis and everything else going on. So a huge thank you to you, Helen, for, for, for being that voice and that, being that voice beyond Westminster. Uh, and to Matt as well for our, our in-house expert on debt. Um, thank you very much for listening. We look forward to um, seeing you next time. 